Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? What well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up? Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, que pasa mi amigos, me llamo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Shalom, wassalamu alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste, good morning, good abend. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, talking about what is happening, what is going down in the world of sports. Before I do, before I get into the Super Bowl, before I talk about the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, before I make folly of the foolish who believe that, oh, Kyle Shanahan blew it again and all this type of nonsense. Before I get into my program, yeah, it's going to be football heavy. I wanted to speak about the NBA trade. I wanted to lament and go off about my Georgetown Hoyas, but I'm going to save that for my next podcast because, hey, this is the last podcast in terms of us actually speaking about the game of football, players playing the game of football. We got NFL free agency. We got the NFL draft. We got the... uh, we got the off season for the NFL to talk about, but just in terms of playing football games until the month of September, we are done speaking about it. So my podcast today is going to focus on what went down, what happened at the Super Bowl and the impact from that. So I'm going to be speaking about that today, but before I do, what are you doing to make this place a better place to be, man? What are you doing? What ideas have you come up with? Here's my idea. Why don't you go ahead and you try to start a conversation with someone of a different race, of a different gender, of a different political background, a different religion, uh, someone from another side of the tracks, another side of the town, another side of the country, another side of this world. Start a conversation with them and learn something. Educate yourselves. And that way, when we're able to show more unity, compassion, empathy, respect, love, togetherness, when we're ready to gush those things out of our bodies, we'll have it in the, we'll, it'll be coming from the heart and from the mind of an educated person. So I hope that you can do that by getting to know and learning those who might be different from you. And of course, I always ask you this. Where are you listening to this podcast? iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you are. Do me a favor, if you would, please. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, though, enjoy what? The most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast. Whoo, Lord have mercy. If you do that, it'll make me the happiest human being walking 
the face of the earth. All right? All right. We got that out of the way. Let's go ahead again and talk about the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 58. A dynasty is here. The dynasty is officially a dynasty, right? The Kansas City football team, 25-22 victory over the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 58. Their third championship in the last five seasons. Going back-to-back, McCole Hardman caught a three-yard pass from Patrick Mahomes to end the 13-play walk-off scoring drive. One possession before that in OT, the 49ers' Jake Moody kicked a 27-yard field goal to conclude a 13-play 66-yard drive that put San Francisco ahead of Kansas City to start the extra period. Now, Kansas City, with the victory in the Super Bowl, becomes the first team since the 2003-2004 New England Patriots to win back-to-back titles, and it was the second overtime game in Super Bowl history. All right, so let me ask you this. What's the best way to describe this game? What's the best? What, what, what is your takeaway from this game? I guess you could say for me, one of them is the fact that the Kansas City defense and the 49ers allowed themselves to be Mahomed. You understand what I'm saying? Look, this is what I took away from the Super Bowl. I think the best team didn't win. But I also think the team with the best player on the field did. And what I mean by that is Patrick Mahomes did it again, man. If you take a look, if you line up the teams, if you take a look, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker position, tight end, running back, fullback, wide receiver, special teams, most of the check marks in terms of who's better, who has a better unit, most of those check marks are going to go to the San Francisco 49ers. And in the first half, you could say that it was a tale of, of two halves because in the first half, you walked away from that as you were getting ready to watch Usher and Alicia Keys in that outfit she was wearing. Ooh, a mommy dressing like that, looking that fine. Mm, go ahead, girl. But um, as you walked away at the end of the first half, you had to conclude that even though it was just 10-3, to 3, that the San Francisco 49ers were the better team. Similar to last year's Super Bowl, when you kind of thought to yourself, wait a minute, man, Philadelphia seems to be the better team than the um, Kansas City football team. But again, just like last season, the best team didn't win the football game, but the team with the best player did. That's being Mahomes, baby. That is being Mahomes. So, look, Mahomes, I, I, I think... I think in a situation like this, when, when I when I want to give an example of this, this is what I mean in terms of the best team didn't win, but the team with the best player did. If I think Mahomes is the only quarterback in this league, possible exception being Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, possibilities. Those are the only possible exceptions. Patrick Mahomes is the only quarterback in this league who could have won that game for Kansas City. If you would have put Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, maybe they would have had a, they would have had a shot, but I don't think they're winning that game. I think Patrick Mahomes playing quarterback for the Kansas City football team is the only reason why they won that game. If there's not another quarterback in the league today that you could say that about. Joe Burrow playing quarterback for the Kansas City football team Sunday, Kansas City loses that game. Um Justin Herbert playing quarterback for Kansas City in that Super Bowl against San Francisco, they lose that game. Dak Prescott, well, we already know about that. Dak Prescott, you know. But what I'm saying is, and, and that's the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. And on the other hand, if Mahomes is playing quarterback for the 49ers, let's say that the uh, team switched quarterbacks. 
and you had Brock Purdy playing for Kansas City, and you had Patrick Mahomes playing for the San Francisco 49ers, 49ers would have won that game going away. I'm not saying it would have been a 55 to 10 blowout like San Francisco did Denver. I'm not saying that it would have been my Washington football team over Buffalo and their Super Bowl victory or what Dallas did to the Bills the first time that they played in the Super Bowl. I'm not talking about that type of mismatch. I'm not talking about what the San Francisco 49ers and Steve Young did to the Los Angeles, excuse me, to the San Diego Chargers and their Super Bowl. I'm not talking about that type of blowout if you would have switched quarterbacks, but San Francisco would have won that game going away. Just like last season, if you would have put Patrick Mahomes on the Philadelphia Eagles and put Jalen Hurts, who I think is a better quarterback than Brock Purdy, who played a better Super Bowl game than Brock Purdy last season. I still think in that scenario, speaking about last season, Mahomes on the um, Philadelphia Eagles, while Hurts would be on the uh, Kansas City football team, I think the Philadelphia Eagles with Mahomes as quarterback wins that game going away. And, and that's not to mitigate, or that's not to chastise, or that's not to downplay the effect that the Kansas City defense had in this game. And I'm not trying to minimize the fact that the Kansas City defense played a humongous role, not just in winning this game on Sunday to win the Super Bowl, but I'm speaking about the way that they played for the entire season to basically prop up an underwhelming Kansas City offense. Yes, even with Patrick Mahomes. And let's just like say what it is. Kansas City is not in this position to win a Super Bowl if it's not for its defense. The defense of the Steve Spagnuolo was incredible. So I don't want to mitigate. I don't want to take away. I don't want to chastise. I don't want to minimize the effect and impact that the Kansas City defense had on not just this game, but also this playoff run and the season in general. But Patrick Mahomes is the difference maker. Patrick Mahomes is absolutely, positively, undeniably the difference maker. For the game, completed 36 of 46 passes, excuse me, 34 of 46 passes, 333 yards with two touchdowns, a bad interception at the beginning of the second half while picking up 66 yards on nine rushing carries, a lot of them very important, critical uh, rushing yardage, especially in the second half on a couple of fourth downs. He spread the ball around. Eight pass catchers had at least two receptions. So, hey man, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes at the age of 28, three-time Super Bowl champion, two-time All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL MVP. I... <laughs> it's... I remember back in the day, I remember there, there, there's few, there, there's some athletes. Look, I love me some Wendell Wallace. No one loves Wendell Wallace more than me. I love Wendell Wallace. I like my life. No, 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 no. Let me, let me reiterate. I love my life. Yeah. Do I wish I had a wife and kids? Sure. Do I wish I had a job that paid more money? Sure. Do I wish I had more money in the bank account? Sure. Do I wish I could go on more cruises? Sure. Do I wish that I could be coming home to a Halle Berry or to a Jada Fire or to a or to a Monica Bellucci or Selma Hayek every night? Sure. Absolutely. No doubt about it. But overall, I've been, the Lord has blessed me so damn good for having my health and everything and what I'm doing and where I'm living and how I'm feeling and my relationship with Jesus. I've been blessed and I'm happy. No, no, no complaints. But man, Patrick Mahomes has got me beat by a whole... 
And my definition of living life to its fullest and living life to its greatest, woo, Patrick Mahomes has me beaten than some. <laughs> my ultimate, I would love to live this person's life. The ultimate for me would be Magic Johnson. I follow Magic on Instagram and what he's doing with his life in terms of how he's living his life. I just look at that and say, damn, I wish that could be me. I remember a time when Tony Parker for the San Antonio Spurs was rolling. He was playing point guard for the world champions. He was a rich, he was young, and he was married to Eva Longoria. It was like, yeah, Tony Parker is winning in life, man. <laughs> Tony Parker, you, 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 you've won. You have hit the life jackpot. You have hit the life lottery, man. Patrick Mahomes doing the same thing. Now, I ain't going to be talking too much about his, about his wife. You know, hey, that's cool. But he's got a beautiful family. He's 28 years old. He's on top of the world. Hey, man, Patrick Mahomes, congratulations. By the age of 28, you have won the game, the game of life. My man. <laughs> so Patrick Mahomes, give it up for him. And I mentioned before, the, the impact that he had on the game, remarkable. Despite not playing well. Or generating any offense in the half. Sooner or later, you know what's going to happen, right? As I mentioned before, I remember I was watching something and there was a prisoner in California. And I don't know if he was at Folsom or I don't know where he was at. But he was like, you know, violence in prison is kind of like living in California in terms of its earthquakes, right? You, you know it's going to happen. You know an earthquake is going to happen. You don't know when. You don't know how devastating it's going to be. You don't know how long it's going to last, but since you live in California, you kind of know that sooner or later, an earthquake is going to be coming. So it's the same thing in prison, right? And the same thing is like violence in prison. You know what's going to happen. You don't know if it's going to happen today. You don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know how many times it's going to happen. You don't, you, you can't predict when a, when violence in prison is going to happen, but because you are in prison, you know sooner or later it's going to happen. The same thing with Patrick Mahomes. Look, you, you know Patrick Mahomes sooner or later is going to get it together. You don't know when during a game that's going to happen. You don't know if it's going to be the second quarter. You don't know if it's going to be the third quarter. You don't know if it's going to be the last drive of the game. You don't know if it's going to be an overtime. You don't know when Patrick Mahomes is going to be Patrick Mahomes, but you know what's going to happen. I always equate it in sports to Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry, he could miss his first 12, 13 shots. He can miss his first eight or nine or ten three-point shots. And out of those eight or nine or ten three-point shots that he misses, four or five of them could be wide open. I mean, defensive bust, defensive breakdowns. Oop, we left him wide open. Steph catches the ball, you know, shoots it, no one around him, and he misses. He can do that three or four times in a row. You know with Steph eventually that it's going to happen. You know that eventually he's going to go on a scoring barrage. So you can never, never be satisfied. You can never take that for granted. You can never put your guard down. You can never do that. And it's the same thing with Patrick Mahomes, man. Patrick Mahomes is that guy. He's that guy that, yeah, okay. San Francisco played fantastic the first half. Mahomes only throwing for 123 yards. His first, what, three or four plays, first three or four drives. Um, he had that one fifty-something yard pass um, to get them into um, get them into a scoring range before uh, uh, Pacheco fumbled the football. But for the most part, he was pretty much bundled up, right? For the, pretty much the defensive line for San Francisco was doing a number on Patrick Mahomes in terms of the offensive line for Kansas City. 
But you, you, you notice that A, the score was only 10 nothing, And B, regardless of what the score is, you know that it's like, no, man, there ain't no time for celebration, man. There ain't no time for when we stop Patrick Mahomes or we sack Patrick Mahomes or we stop the Kansas City offense, we run off the uh, field dancing on the street like Martha and the Vandellas or dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie. Of course, playing in a stadium like Vegas, dancing on the ceiling, I think would be very, not only unrealistic but if it could be spectacular but the key is is that you 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 notice when teams play Patrick Mahomes when they sack him or when they throw an incomplete pass even with an interception there is no like dancing around there is no you know extra you know jubilation and joy and anything like that there's nothing like that because you know Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes and you don't poke the bear and you know that it's coming so it's like all right we got that thank goodness we got him off the field in three plays, or he didn't score, or he didn't do something. Thank goodness, because we know it's going to be just as tough or tougher to um, to do it again. So that's the deal, man. That's the deal with Patrick Mahomes, man. So, again, you have to remain aggressive on offense. And I think what it came down to, and this is not, this is not an indictment on Brock Purdy. This is just Patrick Mahomes in terms of what was the difference in the game. One team had Brock Purdy as their quarterback. The other team had Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. And if you think that I'm saying that as a slight on on Brock Purdy, let me go back even farther than that. What was the difference between the Kansas City-Buffalo game, um, uh, the playoff game a couple of weeks ago or three or four weeks ago? One team had Josh Allen playing quarterback. The other team had Patrick Mahomes. That's the reason why Kansas City won. What was the difference? What was the main difference when you're speaking about the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City football team, how and why did Kansas City advance to the Super Bowl? A, the Kansas City defense was fantastic. And B, one team had Patrick Mahomes at the quarterback. The other one had Lamar Jackson. Oh, who happens to be the two-time NFL MVP. I, um, I uh, before I move on, let me go ahead and apologize. I had a, uh, this is not aging well. I had a discussion. I threw it out there. I threw it out there to say the season, and this was, I believe, after the season was over. I said, uh, you know, the, the season that Lamar Jackson had and the fact that even before the age of 27, he's going to win his second MVP and everything that Lamar is doing in terms of with his athleticism and how he's changing the game and how he's, um, you know, bringing in a new element to the game. And how he's impacting the game, not just in terms of his performance on the field, but what he's doing, what what he's doing to influence the younger generation who want to play football, who might be great athletes, who instead of trying to be a track star, instead of trying to be a basketball star, take a look at Lamar Jackson and say, "I want to do that, and I want to take my God-given gifts of speed and agility and, and elusiveness, and I want to apply that to no, not the wide receiver position." No, not the running back position, to the quarterback position. Because I want to play the game like Lamar Jackson, but by the time I evolve into a person who's able to play in the NFL, I'm going to be Lamar Jackson times five. So that's what I mean in terms of the impact that Lamar Jackson has, not just on the field of play with the way he plays, but how he's influencing it off the field and helping the NFL move forward in the future. So I, I, I had the notion, I, I took all that into consideration going into the playoffs, and I said, if, if, if Lamar can go ahead and win a Super Bowl, or at least get to the Super Bowl, 
with the Baltimore Ravens and the year that Patrick Mahomes is having right now, could this be a situation where Patrick Mahomes might have to share some of the spotlight with Lamar Jackson? Instead of it being a Patrick Mahomes league, can we say it's a Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson's league? My bad. <laughs> yeah, I was wrong on that one. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I was reaching too much, but yeah, that was that that that, that wasn't one of my better takes. <laughs> that that wasn't one of my better thoughts. Yeah, you know, it's just and Patrick Mahomes was kind of like, yeah, Wendell, really? Let me uh, let me put that one to let me put that one to bed to make you look stupid in the meantime. But uh, yeah, man, in this league, it's Patrick Mahomes and it's um, and it's everybody else. You know, you, so so there you go. So when you, when you take a look at this, I mean. The, the, the turning point for the game had to be with the 49ers up 10-6 in that uh, in the fumble or the or the, uh, the 49er um, defensive back having the uh, ball go off his uh, leg the um, foot the uh, Kansas City team recovered next play Patrick Mahomes finds uh, Marquez Valdez and Stantling in the end zone for a touchdown and, and there you go then you you look around and you say to yourself wait a minute how in the world can we have been playing this well and we have the feeling that we're dominating this game and we look up near the end of the third quarter and we're down 13 to 6. How in the world can we be playing so well on defense and bottling up Mahomes like we are, not allowing him to score a touchdown yet? We turn around and we're down 13 to 6. Or up until that point, we haven't allowed him to score a touchdown yet. We turn around and now we're down 13 to 6. What was happening with that? So Jalen Watson, uh, who recovered the uh, kick, who recovered the. Uh, the fumble to allow Valdez Scantling to uh, score that touchdown or catch that touchdown pass. Way to go. Way to go. So yeah, man, it was, uh, I, I, you know, we're going to, we're going to play this game because we, we really in a game of this magnitude, we really can't say, Hey, you know what? Kansas city, Patrick Mahomes, awesome, wonderful, this, that, and the other, let's all go home. You know, roll the credits, the show's over. Okay, that's the final final verdict. That's the final thought, you know? We, we always have to somehow, someway play the game of, okay, this team won, but the team that lost, who deserved the blame? Where is it? We have to somehow search and search and look and look to find the, oh, I can't believe that he did that. Oh, I can't believe that he called that. Oh, I can't believe that he didn't. You know, we have to go and we just can't leave it at Patrick Mahomes. Great game. He's the man. He's the one. This, that, and the other. The defense for Kansas City played well. Kansas City deserved to win that football game, right? We, we can't just leave it at that. We have to somehow, someway say, okay, we have to find a goat on the other team. San Francisco played well enough to win that football game. I still think in a seven-game series, San Francisco wins the series. I still think, yes, even with Kansas City having the great Patrick Mahomes. Yes, even with all of the platitudes that I gave Patrick Mahomes. Yes, I still believe in a quote-unquote seven-game series. I still think the San Francisco 49ers will win the championship. But this isn't baseball. This isn't hockey. This isn't the NBA in terms of how it determines the champion. It's one time, one game, one shot. And Patrick Mahomes, time and time and time again, always comes up with the plays, always comes up with the situation to make it work. With the exception of 
when you're speaking about Super Bowls, where he really didn't have any opportunities to because the Kansas City defense, or excuse me, the Kansas City offense and offensive line was putrid in that Super Bowl loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But um, we have to go ahead and say, oh, okay, okay, what, what, where can we assess blame here when we're speaking about why San Francisco lost? Oh, Kyle Shanahan. Yes, Kyle Shanahan. Now let's go ahead and let's lambast Kyle Shanahan. Let's talk about now the fact that he has now lost three Super Bowls after holding a double-digit lead. What exactly, I want someone to define exactly what does that mean when you're speaking about Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan, coach um, of the San Francisco 49ers, now has lost three Super Bowls after holding a double-digit lead. What should be the next point? What should, what should come from that? He sucks as a coach. He needs to be fired. I mean, what are we speaking about here with Kyle Shanahan? The first time he lost uh, a double-digit lead in the Super Bowl, he wasn't even the uh, head coach. He was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. That was the game where the uh, New England Patriots came back from a 28-3 deficit to win in overtime. Of course, he was the head coach for the 49ers in 2020 when San Francisco lost a double-digit lead against the Kansas City football team with Jimmy Garoppolo being the uh, quarterback. Hey, man, it, it, it happens. It happens. Again, let me see. The three losses in the Super Bowl where he was either an, a coordinator or a coach. One time as a coordinator, two times as a coach. Who was he playing against? Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. It happens. 28-3, that's tough. But Dan Quinn was the head coach of the uh, Falcons during that time. Not Cal Shanahan. And for those who want to sit there and talk about, well, he passed the ball too much, he passed the ball too much. And that was really a situation going all the way back to that Super Bowl against the uh, New England Patriots again, where Shanahan was the offensive coordinator uh, for the the, uh, Falcons at that time. If it was such a detriment, if it was such a bad move, if it was such a blunder for Shanahan to continue to pass the ball while the New England Patriots were making their comeback, it's a head coach's decision, it's a head coach's job to get on the headset and say, Kyle, run the ball. Kyle, run the ball. That's Dan Quinn's decision. Now, he decided not to mess with Shanahan because of his brilliance and his genius and this, that, and the other. Again, that's on Dan Quinn. That's the head coach. Romo made a really good observation. I know Romo's getting a lot of uh, heat for some of the calls and his Super Bowl performance as a, as a commentator, as a play-by-play, or as a, as a color guy. But one of the things that was very astute in what he said and what he observed was when San Francisco called a timeout when they were on defense. And um, Roma was talking about, hey, man, that's, that's a, that is a timeout where Kyle Shanahan saw the defense. It was like, no, 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 timeout, timeout. Hey, Steve, that ain't working. Give me something else. That ain't going to be working. What are you going to be doing? What are we going to do? Either do this defense right here, or what do you got else beside that one? Okay, run that one, because what you had right there wasn't working. That's what a head coach is. So, again, when you speak about blaming Shanahan as the offensive coordinator for the Falcons for New England coming back and winning that football game, again, it's Dan Quinn, the head coach's decision to reel him in if he felt that Shanahan was not doing a good enough job or not calling the right plays. So all of the all of the venom that came down on Shanahan for that, I think, was unwarranted. 
then again, in the second in the second game or the third time that he was in the Super Bowl in this Super Bowl where he would lost where he lost a double digit lead, hey man, he was only up ten <laughs> nothing. I mean, it's not like in the fourth quarter he blew a twenty eight to three lead or some nonsense like that. Yeah, it was a ten nothing lead in the first half. By halftime, it was 10-3 because Kansas City scored late. Yeah, so it, it, it's not that egregious. Again, especially when you're having Patrick Mahomes or you're going up against Patrick Mahomes, it's not that egregious. It's not that faulty to be like, oh my goodness gracious, Kyle Shanahan, what a bum. He choked and all this kind of stuff. No, he played against Patrick Mahomes. He played against an all-time great quarterback, and he lost. Kind of same thing with the first time that he played the uh, Kansas City football team with Andy Reid. After head coach Eric Bieniemy, after offensive coordinator, goddamn right, and uh, Patrick Mahomes as their head as their right uh, their uh, head guy as far as the quarterback position is concerned. So I mean, we're, so we're going to sit there and blame Kyle Shanahan or somehow doubt Kyle Shanahan or somehow criticize Kyle Shanahan because he couldn't hold a ten nothing lead midway through the second quarter against possibly the greatest quarterback of our generation scratch that not possibly the greatest quarterback of our generation you're going to ding him for that you're going to criticize him for that you're going to look side eyed at him for that really wow wow well let me tell you something if any of you fools want to sit there and badmouth shout Kyle Shanahan as a coach my Washington commanders will take him I'll take him. Yeah, I know we just hired Dan Quinn, but guess what? If we had the opportunity to uh, hire Kyle Shanahan as the head coach, Dan Quinn would be gone in the New York minute, in the New York second. I'd go into that office and say, Dan, you're fired. <laughs> you just hired me two weeks ago. Well, we're hiring Kyle Shanahan because some dopes in San Francisco don't think that he can get the job done because this is the third time that he's blown a double-digit lead in the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, so it, it, it's... Ooh, so I, I don't know. I don't know where the criticism people were speaking about. Well, you know, in the first half, or San Francisco gave the game away. They're pointing to the Christian McCaffrey fumble, the opening possession of the game for for um, San Francisco. Well, that hurt. That cost them. What well, didn't cost them? I mean, it didn't cost Kansas City when Isaiah Pacheco also fumbled when the Kansas City team was floundering on offense already behind and then you have Pacheco fumbling in the um in the in, near the red zone or or in field goal position you saw the look on the replays you saw the look of Patrick Mahomes you saw how exasperated that he looked you saw the reaction to Pacheco when he fumbled when he came off the field when he was apologizing the offensive line as such you, you saw how important that was so as important at the fumble for Christian McCaffrey at that time, it was even more devastating at that time when Pacheco fumbled because of the way that the Chiefs were not moving the football and the way that the 49ers defense was playing. So I, I, I don't I don't know exactly where to go. I don't know exactly in terms of let's play the blame game. I don't know where to go here. Well, um, there was some criticism from some where near the end of the first half, San Francisco and Shanahan should have used their timeouts more to give San Francisco some time knowing that Kansas City was going to get the ball in the second half. How, what, what, what impact did that have? So what you're assuming is that a team for the most part in San Francisco who was not moving the ball up and down the field with impunity, 
So you're going to try to tell me that using those timeouts to kind of give them a little bit more time and put the hands, put the ball in the hands of Brock Purdy for them to go down the field to score. You think that was advantageous? You think that was a good idea? You think that was a fait accompli? You think that was something that was going to be easily to attain? Really? Really? Did you watch the first half and did you see San Francisco moving the ball? Yeah, I didn't either in terms of moving the ball with any type of consistency. Yeah, I know they scored in three of their first five or six drives. But to ask Brock Purdy to do that and then to say, well, you know, that was one of the mistakes. How was it a mistake? Especially when you speak about Kansas City's first possession in the second half, Mahomes threw an interception. So, so how was that so egregious for San Francisco not to try to get some points or go for score near the end of the first half because one of the one of the thought processes were, well, Kansas City just came down and scored, and then they're going to get the ball for the second half. Look, I, I, I understand. This is Patrick Mahomes. But again, did you see how the defense was playing for San Francisco? Yes, I understand it was Patrick Mahomes. And yes, I understand that I just used the analogy of when in prison, you know, violence is going to break out. It's only a matter of time. Yes, I know. I used the analogy to describe Mahomes' greatness as Steph Curry missing a whole bunch of shots, but sooner or later, you know that he's going to go on a roll and start making shots. So yes, I understand that there might be a little bit of thought process going into that. But A, the 49ers had Brock Purdy. (laughs) They didn't have, oh, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) Now, if it was Mahomes, maybe the argument could be have a little bit more merit because we are talking about Patrick Mahomes. But with Brock Purdy... You're the San Francisco 49ers. You're leading at halftime. You're playing great. Don't do anything to screw that up. Don't don't do a Jack Squirek. Don't do a Joe Thigh. Don't do what Joe Gibbs and the Washington football team did back in the uh, 83 Super Bowl where they thought it would be a good idea going into half to throw a screen pass to which Jack Squirek of the LA Raiders said, oh, thank you so much. I'll take that wayward Joe Theismann pass. And I'll just run it in for the end. I'll just run it into the end zone for a touchdown, which... In all its certain purposes, um, you know, put the fatal put the final nail in the coffin for my Washington football team back then to repeat to repeat as uh, Super Bowl champions. So no, we're we're not, we're not going down that road of just like oh anyway, somehow some way um, there should be some type of blame for not uh, for not. Uh, trying to get points and not trying to do some things near the end of the first half. The field goal was made by Kansas City with 20 seconds left. Then McCaffrey ran the ball for six yards. They have the end of the half, and then let's go. Then let's go. So that that that, that criticism I found, I found quite foolhardy and find quite foolhardy. Then, of course, the main thing, though, the decision for Shanahan to take the ball first in overtime. Now, the new rules that was explained in playoff in the in the in the uh, Super Bowl, Super Bowl in the overtime guarantees both teams have a chance to touch the ball, and for the f- team that gets the ball second to match what the first team did on their drive before the game goes into southern southern sudden death. So the 49ers won the toss. Shanahan elected to take the ball first. Um, he was explaining that look, you know what? If we go down and score first. Kansas City goes down and scores again, then we get the ball and then we can score to um, win the football game via touchdown or a, or a uh, um, field goal. 
And despite the fact that he missed the extra point, which put them in this perilous position to begin with for San Francisco, the um, kicker Moody for the 49ers did make a 55-yard field goal. So if Shanahan's assessment was correct, it would have been a situation where, look, we get the ball third. If we go down, kick a field goal, we hold the uh, we hold Kansas City to a field goal, we get the ball third. All we need to do is basically go 40, 50 yards. We don't need to go the length of the field to uh, try a field goal to uh, win the football game. And our guy from 50-plus has been excellent. So I, 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 I get it. I understand it. But then you play into this, well, you know, you're going to let Patrick Mahomes see what type of, uh, see what he needs to do. You're going to give him four downs and this, that, and the other. Hey, man, um, you know, for the most part, Kansas City was not marching up and down the field. Even when they got their mojo going, I mean, the situation where they scored that touchdown, that was off of one play off of a fumble, off of a special teams miscue by San Francisco. So maybe in the second half, if Patrick Mahomes was engineering 80-yard drives up and down the field three or four times, then then maybe, possibly, the argument could have been maybe a little bit stronger. But no, I I, I don't think this somehow, someway is some egregious error by Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers to accept the ball. They were rolling, and, and guess what? Guess what? San Francisco came down and scored. They scored a field goal to make it 22-19. So it was the defense who was playing well up to that point to um, make the stop. At the very least, hold them to a field goal to what they were doing most of the game. They just weren't able to do it because Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. So to sit there and say, let's just say, for instance, that, uh, let's just say, for instance, that the, um, if the 49ers won the coin toss, right? And they say, we're going to defer. And we're going to get the ball to Kansas City. Mahomes comes down the field, scores a touchdown. Okay? What what makes you think that Brock Purdy is going to go ahead and match that? Now, in the second half, he brought those guys back a couple of times. He brought them back. He scored a touchdown to give them the lead. Uh, when the game was tied, he, he brought them to field goal range to kick a very makeable field goal, which they did to give him a 19-16 lead. So Purdy kind of did his part. I mean, he gave the 49ers an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. And then when overtime started, first possession for San Francisco, let him down the field to uh, kick a field goal. The scoring drives for San Francisco under Brock Purdy were much more substantive and much more substantive than Kansas City's drives for scores, or just as, just as much. So this this is a situation where Patrick Mahomes is being Patrick Mahomes, bro. So I I I just don't get it. I I love it where they always do after the fact, after the fact, right? Always after the fact, right? Like if somehow, some way, the 49ers would have stopped Kansas City in overtime on that fourth down play. If they would have stopped Patrick Mahomes in overtime, no one would be sitting up there talking about, yeah, the 49ers won, but whoo, what was Kyle Shanahan thinking about? Taking the ball first in the overtime. Well, that was terrible. That almost cost it the Super Bowl. That put so much pressure. That put so much on the defense. Well, thank goodness they bailed him out. No one would be second-guessing that call. I hate second-guessers. Stop with the nonsense. Patrick Mahomes was great. San Francisco played well. That's just the way it is. Brock Purdy played well. Now, for the haters of Brock Purdy, uh, so I told you he couldn't get the job done. I'm going to have to school y'all. I'm going to have to educate y'all again. Brock Purdy played a, played a really good game 
for being Brock Purdy. <laughs> but there's a reason why Brock Purdy was picked last in the draft. There's a reason why Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant. There's, there's a reason for it for that. Brock Purdy is not Patrick Mahomes. Especially Patrick Mahomes when he's rocking and rolling and doing his thing. So again, this is not some knock on Brock Purdy. I, I think we give a lot of the credit and the ooh-ah and the, hey, stop dissing Brock Purdy nonsense based on the fact, or we, we overrate him as a quarterback. Some overrate him as a quarterback because of the obstacles and where he came from. All right, because Brock Purdy was not a first-round draft pick because Brock Purdy's story is pretty hunky-dory. That Brock Purdy's story is pretty cool. Going from a guy who was basically an afterthought with the 49ers in the same draft moving heaven and earth in terms of draft picks and compensations to pick a quarterback who's no longer even on the team and is barely hanging on in the NFL with the Cowboys, speaking about Trey Lance, that the the 49ers found gold. How about that, huh? The San Francisco 49ers struck gold, but they did but they <laughs> but they went to a different well to find it. It's a gold in the well. I don't know, whatever. But you know, you, you get my drift. So it's a situation where the story is awesome. But also, let's remember Brock Purdy, where he was drafted, why he was drafted. For the most part, these folks don't make many mistakes. And for those who want to throw out um, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, how many six-round draft picks are anywhere near Tom Brady's stature? <laughs> I mean, that's a once in a generation, once in a couple of generations situation what Tom Brady turned his career into as a six-round draft pick. That ain't going to be happening every draft. That's not going to be happening every five drafts. That's not going to be happening every 25 drafts. We'll never see a situation like Tom Brady. I'm 54 years old. If I live to be 154, I doubt that I'll see another Tom Brady situation again where someone is drafted that low and turns out to have that type of impact or anywhere near that type of impact from the quarterback position. That was a rarity among rarities. So, great story for, for, for Brock Purdy in terms of being the game manager and being the good quarterback that he was, the solid quarterback that he was, the starting quarterback that he was, playing in a system that accentuated his strengths and under the coaching of a fantastic head coach and offensive mind and Mike Shanahan, uh, excuse me, Kyle Shanahan, but, you know, you're going against Patrick Mahomes, buddy. I mean, that's that ain't a fair fight. It's a situation now we're moving forward. I don't know what the 49ers are going to do. I mean, we, we see that Patrick Mahomes, or excuse me, we saw that Brock Purdy got the 49ers to this place again. And I guess already when they're speaking about too early prognostications on who's going to win the Super Bowl next year, they have the... Um, they have the 49ers at the uh, number one seed or the, the, the top-ranked team to go there. But I still think the um, situation with Brock Purdy being the starting quarterback, I, I still think that that's in flux. I still think that there's a question mark about that. And don't sit there and talk about, well, big fucking deal. Hey, it has to be a fait complete in terms of him being a franchise quarterback or him being the quarterback for San Francisco moving forward because, they, because he led them to the Super Bowl. Shit. Trent Dilfer was a Super Bowl champion for Baltimore and uh, Bill, uh, not Bill Belichick, but uh, Brian Billick cut his ass the next year. Doesn't mean anything. I mean, you know, the uh, kid from Penn State who he played against. Oh, I know, I see his face 
jersey number Kerry Collins. Yeah, Kerry Collins for the New York Giants. He led the, the uh, Giants to the Super Bowl against the Ravens. He, he was no guy that he was a shoe-in to be the um, franchise quarterback. How many more teams did Kerry Collins take to the uh, Super Bowl? I'm not saying that Brock Purdy can't do that, but that shouldn't be the reason why, well, fuck it, we got to pay him, you know, $35, $40 million because he took this team to the Super Bowl. Eh, it's got to be a little bit more than that. I want to see Brock Purdy do this again. Maybe not get to the Super Bowl, but I want to see the Brock Purdy effect. I want to see the impact that he has, not just on this team, but in the game, on a game in general that he's playing in. I need to see more. I need to see more. And his limitations are very obvious. So I don't know how much better that he can get. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the Super Bowl is in the books. It was an entertaining Super Bowl, at least starting the second half. It was overall a very entertaining Super Bowl. Again, I've always said, hey, man, this is the reason why the NFL and this is the reason why the NFL owners can be the jackasses that they are can be the head in the sand. I don't give a fuck about society. Let me just count my billions and millions of dollars and be happy. And for all of those who are protesting about black coaches need to get more opportunities and all that kind of nonsense and y'all screwed Colin Kaepernick for all those situations and we need more women in here and a referee sucks and all that kind of stuff. That's the reason why these owners laugh at your corny asses. That's the reason why the NFL laughs at your cornball asses. Because guess what? A, you're going to watch the game. B, you're going to be addicted to the game. And C, we're going to make boatloads of money off your asses, along with TV rights and all those other things. So you keep complaining and calling us racist and all that kind of nonsense. That's fine. I'll just keep counting my billions and living my super-duper mansions and riding on my yachts. Thank you. Good night. When we come back, I got to do a little boogie break. I want to kind of give a little something. I I, want to give a little juice to this boogie break that I'm going to be doing so uh, when we come back after you hear me get down a little bit after you hear me flow a little bit the Super Bowl recap why we should definitely appreciate not just Patrick Mahomes but also the Kansas City football team in the ride that they're on people are up here talking about a dynasty is set and can Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick six Super Bowls in question with Andy Reid now having three and um, Tom Brady with seven Super Bowl rings and, and and Patrick Mahomes is going to be getting him and all this kind of nonsense. Hey, man, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to explain to you, and I'm going to do it with facts. I'm going to do, do it with precedence. Why, why before, we start, before we start talking about Patrick Mahomes catching Tom Brady and winning eight or nine or 10 or 15 Super Bowl championships, why we should just slow down, slow down, and kind of respect and admire and just relish, just be, just be drenched in the waters of what Kansas City is doing right now and what they've accomplished so far. Let's do this after I uh, boogie a little bit. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. <laughs> End of the first quarter as I collect myself with a sip of water and think about ways to slaughter the next segment while giving thoughts and praise to Sydney Davis, my awesome and beautiful goddaughter. Wendell's world in sports bringing the game to a higher ground like Stevie, making it look easy, the sports podcasting wonder who's full of thunder, who will plunder and pillage your podcasting village, leaving it desolate and depressing that the truth that I did it 
you'll be accepting, rejecting the notion that there's not a podcast I can't be hosting, not an obstacle in the broadcasting game I can't overcome, any race that I compete, it can't be won, no broadcasting job I can't get the job done, no challenge that I'm ever, ever running away from. So, coming at me trying to act tough and nefarious, it's going to be quite hilarious and careless if I'm the target of those actions. I have more control than Janet Jackson, and in a fraction, I'll take the weak and slack and send them packing on the midnight train to the land of pain and defeat. With a front row seat to listen and learn from this teacher, pumping knowledge and wisdom about sports on the mic and to the speaker, any wisdom seeker who was not on that educational journey will end up on a gurney blown out in the first round of this podcasting tourney. So, don't try to repeat my show verbatim. Those clowns who do that, good lord, I hate them. Those type of podcasters, I'll never give them their emancipation. Instead, I'll just emasculate them, fillet them, like a high school basketball player trying to go one-on-one against Jason Tatum. So, as I get back to the show, the flow of the sports of every day, I must say, if you ask the question, can my podcast pass the test? Ask Brian Danielson if my show is the best. Yes! 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 Wendell's World of Sports. Control. <laughs> so glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Hey, man. Told you it was the most unique sports talking podcast that could be out there, right? Um, Super Bowl 58, the recap. It, it's over. The newest NFL dynasty known as the Kansas City football team. I'm not going to say what their nickname is. It's just I just don't feel comfortable doing it. But the newest dynasty is there in Kansas City. Interesting. Remember, I was I've been saying this the entire the entire season when it comes to the NFL and why for so many it's the greatest sport out there. I love me some NBA. Love me my Monica Bellucci, my Selma Hayek, my Jada Fire, my blah blah blah, my Vivica A. Fox, and all that kind of stuff. Love my wifey when it comes to uh, sports leagues. Love the NBA, but man, the NFL is something else, man. Like I mentioned before, it, 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 and, and I've been mentioned, it's, it's like writing a book. It's like writing a story. Sometimes the NBA season, I can admit it, man. Sometimes, especially when the Warriors were doing their thing, when they picked up Kevin uh, Durant and they were running their thing and they were doing their thing. Yeah, I understood that the regular season and the season itself was boring because it was a fait accompli that the Golden State Warriors we're going to be playing the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron and Kyrie and K-Love in the NBA Finals. I mean, there was really no intrigue. There was really no reason. If you weren't like a diehard NBA fan like myself, there was no reason to get NBA League Pass. There was really no reason to follow the NBA because all these other teams were wasting their time. They were wasting their time. For a few years when um, Golden State was stacked, everybody else was wasting their time. Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks, anybody you want to throw out there, they were wasting their time because with that team in Golden State at its full powers of Steph, Clay, KD, and Draymond, nobody was beating them. Nobody. 
nobody. So why even bother watch the Why even invest time, emotional time, into your team? Why, if I'm a Washington Wizards fan, right? Washington Wizards, Indiana Pacers, Oklahoma City Thunder, Sacramento Kings. I know I'm like bringing up the dreck of the NBA except for the Pacers and the uh, Kings. But, you know, any if you if you were a fan of any of these teams during that time that Clay, Steph, KD, and Dre were rolling, why would you even care? Why why would you even be happy with the NBA to even allow this to happen to have Kevin Durant join the um, Golden State Warriors? What was what was the meaning of really getting into following the Boston Celtics or the Miami Heat or the Orlando Magic or the Houston Rockets or the Dallas Mavericks or the Phoenix Suns? What was the point? It was mute because you guys had no shot, zero shot, none. To win an NBA championship. To compete for an NBA championship. Because you knew when everything was all said and done in the NBA finals. Cleveland and Golden State were going to be playing with Cleveland. Or excuse me with Golden State winning the championship. So why even bother with this nonsense? Football it is so much different. And that's what makes football so great. Because Kansas City started off the season by losing to what Detroit 20 to 14. Now okay they didn't have Chris Jones who was holding out. Okay Travis Kelsey didn't play also. And for a, 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 a situation that was going to uh, come about, that was going to rear his ugly head time and time again, drop passes by Kansas City's wide receivers. They had eight of them that first game against um, Detroit. For the season, Kansas City led the league in drop passes with 44. So it was a harbinger for things to come that first game against Detroit where you had Tony and those guys dropping passes, dropping passes like they were dropping burgers into bags at McDonald's where they should have been after that performance. Um, But you know what? They turned around. They won six straight games, seven and two, blah, blah, blah. Kansas City's back. But it was a situation where you never got that feeling that, man, Kansas City is back to its old self, right? Then they went ahead, and at one point in the season, they were nine and six, and everybody was counting them out. Remember Christmas Day? When they lost to the Las Vegas Raiders at home, at Arrowhead, in a situation where I think the Raiders quarterback, I don't think he completed the pass in the second half. And the only two times that um, that Las Vegas scored, I know one was an interception return from a Mahomes pass. I mean, that was rock bottom right there, man. That was rock flipping bottom to lose 20 to 14, losing four of their next six. Yeah, they scored. The Raiders scored two defensive touchdowns within seven seconds in the second quarter. One on a fumble return and then one on an interception. So, yeah, at that point, the Kansas City football team, they were 9-6 to six on the outside looking in. And after that, they won five straight games, got their mojo back. But it wasn't in terms of getting their mojo back to be like, oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, Betty. Yeah, buddy. What was everybody talking about? Baltimore, 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 Baltimore. Going into that playoff season in the AFC, what were the talk? Baltimore, 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 Baltimore. They had just gone to the West Coast while sitting at the dock of the bay, watching the tide go away, and in between they were kicking the San Francisco 49ers' arses. Then the next week they flew back to Baltimore, Charm City, and put a charming ass-whooping on the uh, Miami Dolphins. So it was a situation Lamar was playing out of his mind. Had me fooled. In terms of, yeah, Patrick Mahomes. Share that greatness seat, my man. Share share that apartment in terms of, share that apartment on Greatest of Generationsville. You're going to have a roommate. 
Now the, the, the name that now the name is still going to be your name is still going to be on the lease. I'm not saying that Lamar is going to be equal, but hold on now. You might have a little company. There might be someone sniffing on your ass in terms of uh, don't turn around because he might be gaining on your type of deal, right? That was the talk going into the uh, playoffs, right? It was a situation where, okay, you know, Miami a little bit soft. They're going to be going on the road. Yeah, Kansas City can handle that. But, whoo, man, going to play Buffalo and then going to play Baltimore. Baltimore can get by Houston. Then the second half, of that Houston-Baltimore game where Lamar was running all over the place, first quarterback in NFL playoff history to run for 100 yards, throw for over 100 yards, and two touchdowns running, two touchdowns passing. So, whoo, thank goodness, the biggest obstacle for Lamar Jackson has been overcome with this performance because you remember going into the playoffs, he was 1-3, and three. And he had bad playoff um, games in the past, but now this new Lamar Jackson is the man and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the defense for Baltimore is fantastic. And all of these things that the uh, Kansas City football team was coming into. Oh, man, they beat the Buffalo. But, uh, you know, Buffalo was up and down, and Josh Allen could be up and down, and the defensive... Uh, um, the defensive side of the ball for Buffalo, they were injured. They lost their best linebacker and their best uh, secondary player and this, that, and the other. So everything was kind of set up in terms of we're surprised that Kansas City won. We're surprised that um, Kansas City beat Buffalo. But there were mitigating circumstances to where, okay, in the aftermath, I could see, yeah, yeah, I could see where Kansas City could get the job done. But... When they're playing Baltimore, woo, the way that those guys are playing this year, woo, the way those guys put that ass whooping on um, Houston, nah, man, it's over with. It's over with. It's time to crown Lamar. In. Oh, shit, how about that? Baltimore lost. Situation where it's like, and I said this before, fellas, in the AFC, if you can't beat Kansas City this year, when are you going to beat them? Because you don't think that Kansas City is going to be this putrid again at the wide receiver position, do you? You don't think some of these things that happened this season when you're speaking about Kansas City having the um, least amount of wins in the Patrick Mahomes era and Mahomes throwing for his lowest totals in terms of passing yards per game and touchdowns and all this type of stuff. You don't think that that's going to continue, right? So if you can't beat Kansas City this year, when are you going to? And Patrick Mahomes up there, you know, we, we, we saw for, for the first time this season, for the first time maybe in his career, in his, in his NFL career, especially as a starter, we saw a frustrated Patrick Mahomes. I still say that game that they lost against Buffalo, where he was yelling and screaming, and he wasn't yelling and screaming, but he was very critical of the officials after the game. I, I don't think that was so much yelling and criticizing the officials as more if it was, look, man, I'm getting fucking sick and tired of playing with mediocre wide receivers who can't handle my greatness, who can't handle my passes. <laughs> I'm getting tired of this shit. They're costing us games. So I think that outburst directed toward the officials was really directed toward his team and his wide receivers. That's the type of year it was for Patrick Mahomes. That was a situation where, again, if you can't beat him this year, Joe Burrow, if you can't beat him this year, Josh Allen, if you can't beat him this year, Lamar Jackson, if you can't beat him this year, uh, fellas, Justin Herbert, when are you going to? 
All of a sudden now, Jim Harbaugh is going to be the uh, elixir. John Harbaugh is going to be the remedy. John Harbaugh is going to be the band-aid that's going to be put over this wound for the Los Angeles Chargers and their ineptitude to have them compete against the Kansas City football team. I don't know. But here, it, it, but, but in saying all of that, but in saying all of that, I go back to this. The greatness again of Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a legendary quarterback who had the responsibilities that Mahomes had with less offensive talent around him and still won a Super Bowl, right? I mean, you think about Brady. When Brady won his first Super Bowl, he was, what, 14 for 29 for 154 yards. The defense beat the uh, greatest show on turf and bad coaching by Mike Martz, not handing the ball off enough or not getting Marshall Falk involved. That, that, that was a situation where Brady didn't have the responsibilities to win a football game that... Um, Patrick Mahomes had. Now, as time went on, of course, Brady grew into that role. And you could win with less as far as offensive talent is concerned around Brady because he was just, he was that doggone good. But when you think about other great quarterbacks, look, Joe Montana had Jerry Rice, John Taylor, Brent Jones, Tom Rathman, uh, Roger Craig, um, Wendell Tyler. I mean, you know, anybody named Wendell is going to be great at what he does. Um, that those, those seasons that he won championships. Terry Bradshaw, who won four championships. He was throwing to Lynn Swan, Franco Harris, John Stallworth, Rocky Blyer. He had those offensive weapons. And when the Steelers were playing, they didn't have a salary cap. They didn't have free agency. So they could hold on to those guys. Peyton Manning had Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, Edwin James when they were winning Super Bowls. And he won his last Super Bowl because he jumped on the back of uh, the Broncos' defense and won them a championship. Enjoy, respect, and appreciate what Mahomes in Kansas City is doing. Right now. Right now. Because right now, the only focus when it comes to Patrick Mahomes and this narrative and where we're going with this is, what 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 is the next chapter that we're going to be writing about? What does the rest of... Uh, Patrick Mahomes, KC football team's destiny, greatness, legendary status look like over the next seven to ten seasons. Because right now, we're starting to put in the, okay, let's just talk about dynasties. Let's talk about six Super Bowls. Let's talk about seven Super Bowls. Let's talk about complete domination. Let's talk about Michael Jordan's six championships in eight seasons. Let's talk about, the only thing that I haven't heard is somebody trying to compare Patrick Mahomes to a Bill Russell 11 and 13 because most folks don't know the greatness of Bill Russell because they're ignorant and they think everything was done before 2004. But that's the only... <laughs> that's the only comparison that I have not heard in terms of what what this could look like when everything is all said and done in the career of Patrick Mahomes. Because let's just go on the conservative side. Let's just say he plays another, I don't know, 7, 10, 12 years. Let's, he's 28 right now. The way longevity, that type of thing, the way people are taking care of themselves, that type of thing, 35, 36, 37, 38, 8, 8 a death sentence. It's not a situation where you can't be still in your prime. Or at least not too far from your prime to still be legendary, to still be great, to still be impactful, to still be an MVP, right? So let's just say because of the way things are, evolution, players' bodies, technology, rule changes that protect quarterbacks, 
from harm. Um, you, I'm quite sure the equipment will get better to where concussions and injuries might be uh, might be um, mitigated because of that. So let's say because of all of those things that's going to be taking place in the NFL for the next seven to twelve years of Patrick Mahomes' uh, brilliance. What are we looking at here? I know most people would say in the next 7 to 12 years that they could easily see Patrick Mahomes winning anywhere between, I would say, 3 to 6 championships, right? Winning 6 championships, if he plays another 12 years, if he wins a championship every other year for the next 12 years, that's aggressive. Not improbable, right? We, We don't take can't do an improbable when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. I'm tired of doing, I'm tired of that nonsense. I ain't doing that shit. But but let's just say that. Let's just say, because if he wins three, if he plays 12 more years and he wins three, which means that on an average, he's going to be winning a Super Bowl once every four years for the rest of his career. I mean, that's still going to put him at six. That's still going to put him at five. That's still going to put him into the discussion. That's still going to put him second behind Brady. So again, the legendary status, goat status, everything like that, that's still going to be on the table to speak about. But but here's my deal. Here's another thing that we also should be speaking about. Let's say Patrick Mahomes plays 12 years. What happens if he doesn't get a Super Bowl victory? What happens if he doesn't make it back to the Super Bowl at all? And I know, look, the way that we're feeling right now, scoff, laugh, come on. That's right. Yeah, huh? Go bring it on. Bring it on. Laugh at me. Mm-hmm, that's right. Call me names. Call me names. Leave your racial epithets out of it, but call me names. Tell me I'm crazy. Tell me I'm stupid. Tell me I'm reaching. Tell me I'm trying to do a hot take. I didn't say that he was going to not go back to the Super Bowl. I didn't say that he wasn't going to win another championship. I didn't say all these things. But for those who are going to the to the one side to say that he's going to win another four, five, or six if he plays another 12, 13 years, I'm saying that's just as goofy as to say that he's not going to win any at all. And look, unlike any other league, unlike the NFL, excuse me, unlike the NBA, unlike Major League Baseball, unlike the NF, uh, 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 NHL, if that was going to happen in terms of we never saw that coming, we all thought that Patrick Mahomes was going to rule the roost for another decade or decade and a half. Never saw that coming. Never saw the fact that he would never get back to the uh, Super Bowl. I never thought that he wouldn't win another Super Bowl. I never thought those things. Those things happen the most in the NFL because a litany of reasons why. Again, the, the projected time span of Patrick Mahomes in his career is between 2018 and 2033, right? So we've got another, uh, we got another nine, ten seasons. Uh, I think uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes. He could maybe go into the twenty thirty seven season when he'll be forty two years old, right? So let, let, let's just take a look at this, because I like to go on. I like to go on precedents. You know, I like I like I like history. I like bringing up history. I mean, you you can go to the last school I was at. You can go up to Mesquite and ask some of them kids who are seniors now 
Talk, talk, talk to Kylie. Talk to Ellie. Talk to Story. Talk to Anthony Moore. Talk to them folks about when I was in that classroom and I was substituting. And instead of allowing some folks to sit there on their phones and waste time, I brought them up and tried to educate them on some things. I tried to educate them on JFK. I tried to educate them on Lee Harvey Oswald. I tried to educate what happened to uh, that that situation in Dallas. I tried to educate them about MLK and the, and the Lorraine Motel. I tried to educate them about Martin. I tried to educate them about Sidney Poitier when he passed away. I tried to educate them. About about Otis Redding. I tried to educate them about all them things. I tried to educate them about Stack Studio. I'm a man of history, baby. Love me some history. So, I always used to tell them, learn your history, because history always repeats itself. What we're doing right now in this society has layers, has foundations in history that happened 10, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 years ago. If you don't know what's happening in your, if you don't know your history, you ain't going to be knowing what's happening in the present. So when it comes to history, when it comes to precedence, oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I always say this. If you take a look at the NFL history, the history of the NFL, let's just go with the AFL-NFL merger when we're speaking about Patrick Mahomes and what his greatness can be and the fact that, you know what? It's not a done deal that Patrick Mahomes is going to be winning Super Bowls. It's not a done deal that Patrick Mahomes is going to be uh, getting back to Super Bowls. It's not a done deal for the next 7, 8, 10, 12 years that Patrick Mahomes is going to be a fixture in terms of Kansas City or whatever team he's playing for. Ah! <laughs> yes, right. You heard what I just said. Kansas City or what other team he could be playing for for the in, in the year 2035, 36, 37. There's no guarantee that Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to do the things that a lot of us are prognosticating that he can or projecting that he can do. Precedence, history, precedence, history, precedence. 1970, right? That was after after Joe Namath and the uh, no after uh, uh, Hank Stram and the uh, Kansas City football team defeated the Minnesota Vikings. Bud Grant, Joe Cap, Purple People leaders beat them in New Orleans, right? I think the, I think the score was 23-7 or some nonsense like that. Finally, put the nail in the coffin for division among the AFL and the NFL. So they decided to uh, go ahead and become one league, right? Have an AFC and have an NFC. So today's NFL. L, for those who might not know, that's where it was formulated way back in 1970, all right? So let's go ahead and let's take a look at history a little bit. Take out your pens and pencils. Go ahead. I'm going to pay attention to the board. Mr. Wallace now is going to be educating. Lucky you, you're going to be educated by Mr. Wallace. Good for you. So when you take a look at the budding NFL dynasties, right? The Miami Dolphins won consecutive Super Bowls back in 1973-74. Yes, the Pittsburgh Steelers were the team of the decade, but the Miami Dolphins won consecutive Super Bowls in 1973-74. If, uh, 19, yeah, 19, no, 1972-73, because in 1972, they were undefeated. 1973, they beat up on the Minnesota Vikings 24-7. At that time, at Tulane Stadium, when they beat Minnesota 24-7, to win back-to-back Super Bowls. Everybody was speaking about the Miami Dolphins with Jim Zonka, Larry Zonka, and Jim Kick, and Bob Greasy, and the Killer Bees defense with Nick Bonacani and Don Shula at the coach. That was a dynasty. 
Miami was going to run through the 70s. Miami was going to be great. Miami was going to be the team. Leonard Little, all of these Hall of Famers. Miami was going to do this, that, and the other, right? That was coming off the 1973 Super Bowl victory over the Minnesota Vikings. Guess what happened? Miami didn't get back to the Super Bowl until 1983 with Don Shula and Don Strzok. And they lost to my Washington football team, John Riggins, over left side, ran over the safety, in for the touchdown. Hail to the... Okay. Then in 1985, they lost to San Francisco when, oh, I don't know, there was this quarterback named Dan Marino who came in in 83 and lit the world on fire. He was Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes in terms of lighting, scorching the earth from the quarterback position in terms of what he could do as far as the quarterback was concerned. So when his second year came around in 1980. 1984, 85, I don't remember. But when he came into the Super Bowl up in Palo Alto, at Stanford University, and they lost 38-16 to to the uh, Joe Montana and the San Francisco 49ers, ah, big, no big deal. Dan Marino is awesome. Dan Marino is unbelievable. Dan Marino, yeah, he might have lost the Super Bowl, but he's going to have so many other chances to get back to the Super Bowl. He's going to win at least a couple and blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, in, in 15, 16, 17, 18 years? How many more times did Dan Marino get back to the Super Bowl? How many more how many more chances did he get? How many Super Bowls did he win? Let me see here. Four, five, six, eight, four, three. Oh, that's right, zero. So Miami's my Miami hasn't been back to the Super Bowl in thirty-eight seasons in counting. So the team that was supposed to run through the seventies hasn't been hasn't won a Super Bowl since then. The team of the 70s was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Terry Bradshaw won four Super Bowls in six years between 1974, 75, 78, 79. In those seasons between those, the Oakland Raiders with Ken Stabler, Hall of Famer. Dallas Cowboys with Captain America, my man Roger Stallback, won their first and second championships of that franchise. Bradshaw, after winning that fourth Super Bowl, now look, he wasn't 28 years old like Patrick Mahomes, but after Bradshaw won that back-to-back championship, never got back to the Super Bowl, never competed for a Super Bowl, and the Steelers didn't get back to the Super Bowl again until 1996 where they lost to Dallas, right? Other great quarterbacks of that decade to contend with, Fran Tarkington, three Super Bowl appearances, didn't win anything. Bob Greasy won those two Super Bowls, never got back. Ken Anderson, underrated for the Cincinnati Bengals, never sniffed the, never sniffed the, uh, um, Super Bowl in the 1970s. He had to wait till 1981 to get his one and only shot. 1980, the San Francisco 49ers team of the decade. Do you remember? Do you remember when the 49ers were the team of the decade? I remember because Joe Montana, when we're speaking about dynasties here, because I'm trying to teach, I'm trying to educate those who think that the Kansas City football team with Patrick Mahomes is all of a sudden now going to run off and start rolling up championship after championship and Super Bowls after Super Bowls. Before we go with that folly, please listen. Please listen to history. Please listen to precedents. Please listen to what could happen. Please listen to the fact that my statements, my thoughts and opinions about there is a chance might be slight, might be near none, but there is a possibility that Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City might not be back in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City might not reach the levels of success that they have right now. So before we start thinking about next season and the season after that and the season after that and can he reach seven and blah, 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 let's just take time out and let's just marinate 
on what Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City is doing right now. Because again, there is no guarantee that they will be back. Team of the 80s, Joe Montana. Um, won four Super Bowls, right? No, he won. How many Super Bowls did Montana win? Three, four? I don't know. But other great quarterbacks, he was going up against John Elway. He was going up against Dan Marino. He was going up against Jim Kelly. He was going up against Dan Fouts during that era. He won four Super Bowls, speaking of Montana. 81, then 84, and then back-to-back in 88 and 89. In between winning those championships, my Washington football team won in 1982. They were supposed to be a budding dynasty again until they got blown out by the Los Angeles Raiders, Marcus Allen, Jim Plunkett in 1983. The Chicago Bears... 1985, right? The, the Bears shuffling crew. We are the Bears shuffling crew. Whatever that rap that they were doing. They were supposed to be. Remember that 85 defensive team? One of the greatest of all time. Buddy Ryan at the defensive coordinator. They were supposed to be the next in up and coming dynasty. That dynasty crumbled as soon as that Patriots game in the Super Bowl was over. When those guys started bickering and fighting and complaining about getting more time and getting more airtime and getting more uh pats on the back and Walter Payton was pissed off and couldn't be consoled because after uh, after the game because he was so upset at Mike Dicker that he gave the ball to Refrigerator Perry to score a touchdown instead of him to cap off that historic career that he was beside himself with anger and, and angst because he got into a Super Bowl and he didn't win or he didn't uh, score a touchdown. So that Bears dynasty was crumbling as soon as the clock hit zero for them to win a Super Bowl. Then the Giants won in 86. My Washington football team again with Doug Williams having the greatest quarter in NFL history, uh, won it in 87. And then Montana picked it back up again, came back after injury, won it in 88. And in 89, they absolutely blew out, blew out, blew out, Blew out the Denver Broncos 55-10. to 10. Montana looked awesome. Go back and watch the highlights of those games. Go back and watch NFL films of that game between Denver and um, Denver and San Francisco. The comments made, I believe it was Joe Klecko, who was, who was mic'd up. And he was sitting there after Montana was scoring, the 49ers was scoring. He would just sit there and shake his head and be like, God damn, the motherfuckers are good. But I mean, I mean he didn't say that. But, but basically, at that time... San Francisco looked unstoppable. Joe Montana, who really at that moment in time sealed, cemented his status as the GOAT. Before there was Tom Brady, before there was Patrick Mahomes, it it was a situation where after that game, it was inconceivable to think that anybody in NFL history could be as great at the quarterback position than Joe Montana. That's what that Super Bowl win over Denver in 1989 meant for the 49ers. And Roger Craig was sitting up there talking about three-peat, three-peat, three-peat. No team's ever three-peat. That's what we're going to do. This, that, and the other. And people were, the pundits were talking about the San Francisco, greatest team, and Bill Walsh is the greatest coach of all time, and all this stuff. And they were prognosticating all of the future success for the uh, 49ers, even though Montana was on the wrong side of 30. Guess what happened? Guess what happened? They made it to the NFC Championship game the next year, but they lost to the uh, San Francisco Giants. Damn it. They lost to the uh, New York Giants 15-13 to when Leonard Marshall damn near killed Joe Montana on a blindside hit, which caused Montana to miss basically two years and, and get him traded to um, the uh, Kansas City football team with Marty Schottenheimer as the coach. But um, that was it. 
1989, that 1990, that was it for the Joe Montana budding dynasty of the San Francisco 49ers, Tom Rathman, Jerry Rice, John Taylor, all them guys. That, that was over with. That was over with. The 1990 team of the decade was, um, oh man, they were the, they were the, uh, what was that team? Um, I forgot. Jimmy, could you tell me about the uh, Dallas Cowboys and Troy Aikman? What what was uh, how, how were those Cowboys? What about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how about them Cowboys? That was supposed to be the team. Now that team was set up perfectly. You're speaking about a team that won back-to-back championships, 1992 and 93. That was a situation where. Troy Aikman was young, Michael Irvin was young, Emmitt Smith was young, that defense, Ken Norton Jr., you know, Russell Maryland, Darren Woodson, those guys, that team was young. I think when they won the Super Bowl, in fact, they were the youngest team in the NFL. And everybody, the Cowboys are back, the Dynasties are back, blah, 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 blah. That was a situation where it was Cowboy crazy, man. I mean, I grew up in the 70s, and yeah, while I was a Washington fan, sort of, kind of, I loved me some Roger Stahlbeck. Loved me some Roger Stahlbeck. They're damn right I took my sixth grade picture, uh, class picture, wearing my Roger Roger uh, Stahlbeck jersey, number 12. Goddamn right on that one. Loved me some Roger Stahlbeck. That wasn't even close in terms of the uh, 70s Cowboys. That hype wasn't even close to what the 90 Dallas Cowboys were talking about when they had won their two back-to-back championships. And again, when you were speaking about, when they were speaking about the Cowboys being the team of the 90s, you have to say that with some apprehension, and you also have to say that with some disappointment in your voice. Even if you believe, even the most ardent, strident Dallas Cowboy fan, even if you believe, that the Cowboys were the team in the 90s. You also have to look back on that era of that decade with the melancholy and regret because it should have been more. And you know that it should have been more. You can't tell me after y'all beat Buffalo for the second time and Emmett was doing the thing and getting ready to go down greatest of all timeville or legendaryville after the performance that he had against the uh, Buffalo Bills, you cannot tell me after the 1993 season that that, that you weren't sitting there talking about, hey man, we're going to win five rings. We're going to win six rings. We're going to be back competing for championships year after year after year after year. Right? What happened? Ooh, I'm sorry. Jerry Jones got a little bit agitated and annoyed and uh, envious and jealous and bored and greedy in terms of wanting the attention. I put this team together. Anybody could have uh, coached this team. Or I don't know why Jimmy Johnson's getting all this uh, hype. I'm, you know, who, who couldn't coach this team with that talent? So we fired Johnson and hired, and hired a puppet named Barry Switzer. So what happened? They won in 92. They won in 93. They won in 95. And that was it. When was the last time the uh, Cowboys got back to the Super Bowl? Uh... Tell me again why Jerry Jones is in the Hall of Fame. Has nothing to do with the success as a general manager, right? Because, let me see, 95 was the last time that they made it to the Super Bowl. When did they make it again? Uh, when was the last time that the Cowboys were in the NFC Championship game? Uh. <laughs> so, uh, okay, <laughs> fine. The Bills went on, the win, went on to uh, win four straight AFC Championships from 91 to 94. Hey man, I think that was a I think that was something in itself. So look, man, 
You know, everything, everything is not set in stone. Everything is not set in stone. Tom Brady, New England Patriots, they were the ones who fulfilled their greatness the closest. Right? When you were speaking about, oh man, we're going to be winning championships and we're going to be great and we're going to be doing all this. Tom Brady was the only one, right? He's the only one. So what I'm saying is precedent is telling us that let's slow down. I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes can't win six championships, seven championships. I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes can't be great. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, man, let's just, can we just enjoy what's going on right now? Because I swear, let's even go to another sport. I mean, how... How many times did we have to hear that with the fatal complete that Tiger Woods was going to pass Jack Nicholson in terms of being in terms of uh, wins in, in majors? How many times did we have to hear that? How many times that it was only a matter of time that it was already a done deal, right? Tiger's never going to get close to Jack in that situation. So let's. I mean, it, it looks promising. Believe you me, it looks promising. But you know, it, it's not a done deal. And again, precedent shows, precedent shows that more than likely, it's not going to happen. Again, it's not going to happen in terms of Mahomes and Kansas City reaching the highest of platitudes or reaching the highest of goals or even coming close. I think they're going to come closer. When you talk about um, reaching the goals that most people have set out for them, and I'm talking about realistic. I'm not talking about, yeah, Kansas City's going to win the Super Bowl every year. I'm not talking about that nonsense. But let, let's say Mahomes has three. Let's say, for those who say he has a chance to catch Brady, which means he's going to have to get four. And let's take someone who says he's probably going to win one more. And let's say that Mahomes plays another, he's 28. Let's say that he plays another 12 years. I think it's more than likely, and again, this is Patrick Mahomes, I think it's more than likely when his career is done and we count his Super Bowl totals or his Super Bowl victories after the age of 28, I think it's going to be closer to one than it is to four or five. And again, if if he plays another 10, 12 years. So we'll see. We'll see. So yeah, Tom Tom Brady is Tom Brady's still going to be the man. And when you speak about some of the great quarterbacks that he played with during uh, played against during the decade, when you speak about Peyton Manning and Brett Favre and Drew Brees and Donovan McNabb and Kurt Warner and Steve McNair and Ben Roethlisberger, and also I'm going to say this, I'm also going to throw in this name, Eli Manning. I'm going to throw that name in there. And I, I know Eli Manning kind of had a similar career in terms of like Kurt Warner in terms of he might have won some Super Bowls, but, um, you know, he also had some really rocky moments and this, that type of thing. And I don't know about his Hall of Fame and all this type of stuff. For the haters of Eli Manning, I think Eli kind of said it the best when you speak about um Eli Manning quarterbacking proficiency and all this kind of stuff. I think the best argument that Eli Manning had or that he echoed with this. I'm Eli Manning. I'm nice. Tom Brady's the GOAT. Sight! I beat him twice! 
Hey, man, that's strong. <laughs> that's strong. So, look, you take a look at Mahomes' contemporaries, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson, C.J. Stroud, Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa, Jordan Love. I don't know what Jaden Daniels is going to be. I don't know what Caleb Williams is going to be. I don't know what Drake May is going to be. I don't know about any of those guys. But, man, to sit there and think that Mahomes is going to run roughshod for the next decade over those quarterbacks and accumulate four, five, six championships and that type of nonsense? I don't know, man. I don't know. But you know what? You know what's awesome about this? Is that let's appreciate and respect and enjoy what Kansas City is doing right now. And then next season, let's just kick back and just enjoy. Let's enjoy the chase. Sports is the greatest reality show going, man. It's the the greatest thing going on television. It's awesome. I love it. And that's the, one of the reasons why. I'm going to give you my last thoughts when I get back. I'm going to give you my last thoughts on the uh, Super Bowl and a subject matter that I have been staying away from. I'm finally going to tackle, um, and I'm going to be tackling it very swiftly. Ooh, that was bad. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. <laughs> Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program. Welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports. Thank you so doggone much for listening to my podcast. Um, I, I spoke about some things that I just want to cover. Super Bowl concerning, but um, you know, in, in terms of uh, in terms of the uh, again, I have to give some kudos to the uh, national anthem. I know, especially in my community, Roger Goodell and the NFL and the owners, they take a lot of heat. For the owners, rightfully so. For Goodell, no. Goodell, could, Goodell with the whole Colin Kaepernick thing, I've always thought from our community he's gotten a bad rap. I've always thought that. Roger Goodell, from what I know, from what I know, I've never met the man, so I can't say this with 100% um, you know, accuracy, but from the stuff that I've read and everything, can we please stop calling Roger Goodell a racist? Negroes and Negrets, can can we please stop with the Roger Goodellis racist and then use Colin Kaepernick as an example? Look, Roger Goodell was absolutely pleading. I read a story in Sports Illustrated a little while ago, and basically Roger Goodell was pleading, pleading with the owners to give Colin Kaepernick a shot. And the owners were like, no, we're not going to do it. He's bad for business. For, for, for those who think that Roger Goodell has some type of sway in bringing Colin Kaepernick back, please remember, Roger Goodell works for the NFL owners. He gets his paycheck from the NFL owners. He works for the NFL owners. He is a lackey for the NFL owners. It's not the other way around. The Roger Goodell is hired by the NFL to make them money. Roger Goodell also gets paid $44 million. If I was in that position, 
and I'm making $44 million a year. And they told me not to bring back Colin Kaepernick. I don't give a damn about the black community. I don't give a damn about Black Lives Matter. I don't give a damn about what the joy read on MSNBC. I don't give a damn about the protests. I don't give a damn about what Jam- what Jamel Hill says. I don't give a damn about Charlemagne the God. I don't give a damn about Angela Rye. I don't give a damn about uh, about any of those people. Any of those guys. Y'all can call me. Y'all can call me coon, all that kind of stuff. Motherfucker, I'm making 44, 44 fucking million dollars. And for black folks who want to sit up there and act indignant about, oh, yep, bullshit. Remember, y'all, I'm black. So fuck all that bullshit about black folks saying, well, I would have done this and I would have done that. Bullshit. Bullshit. I know all of y'all. All of y'all. And I don't even know any of y'all. But I know all of y'all who are sitting there talking about, oh, Roger Goodell should have done this, and I can't believe Roger Goodell should do this to bring back Colin Kaepernick, this, that, and the other. If, if NFL owners, if your boss is paying you $44 million fucking dollars a year to keep Colin Kaepernick out of the league, Negro, you'll be keeping Colin Kaepernick out of the league. Stop. 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 We're much more... We're, 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 we're killing our own over, over mean mugs and saying bad words about it about us. But then again, you're going to take the stand and lose $44 million to bring back Colin Kaepernick, which wouldn't happen anyway because the owners wouldn't let it happen anyway. So I've always thought Roger Goodell, racist Roger Goodell, is like, based on what? Colin Kaepernick? It's like, well, what do you want him to do? <laughs> I mean, what do you want the man to do? So basically, all of this is to say, I want to thank Roger Goodell for um, uh, the Black National Anthem. The, the black national hymn, lift every voice, voice and sing, making Kelly stupid ass, that stupid, stupid bitch, talking about, there's only, we only need one anthem, what a waste of time, this, that, and the other. First of all, let me explain something to you. In fact, you know, I feel a little bit, I, 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 feel, I, I feel the need to get a little bit sanctified. I feel the need to get a little bit, a little bit stronger with myself and everything, get some more pride and joy, joy in me, have it overflowing. So let, let, let's take a moment and listen to that absolutely beautiful rendition of Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Black National Anthem. That happened on um, that happened on Sunday. Just in case y'all missed it, let me go ahead and let y'all hear that beautiful song one more time. Oh, a presentation of Lift Every Voice and Sing, performed by Grammy Award-winning recording artist Andra Day. Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the
That's some good stuff right there. Him with the lyrics by James Weldon Johnson. Set the music by his brother, James Rosemont Johnson. Thank you so much for the contribution. So, yeah, I thought that was a very nice touch. I want to thank everybody in the stadium for either being respectful of the anthem. And I would also like to thank those who weren't respectful of the anthem but knew that they weren't knew what would happen if they said something. No booing, no jeering, no anything like that. So for those who felt like making Kelly and the rest of the ignorant folks who thought, why are they playing this national anthem? There's only one. This is ridiculous. This is the reason why this country is divided. This is Joe Biden's idea. For all of you ignorant assholes who thought that but decided not to say anything or disrupt those with a conscience, with a mind, with some common sense, I thank you so much for that. But, um... So, yeah, that was a nice little touch by the um, by the NFL. And Roger Goodell, thank you for that. Um, the halftime show, I didn't watch it, but I did see the outfit Alicia Keys was wearing. Woo! <laughs> mm, boy, thank the trainer. Whoever trained her, whoever got her in shape uh, to be able to wear that outfit the way she was wearing it. Mm, my, my, my. As Johnny Gill would say, my, my, my. So that was sweet. Um, co- commercials, left it impressive. Really didn't get into them. Uh, none of them were really memorable. But, um, yeah, so basically the season's over, man. The season's over. So the start of the 2024 NFL season is Thursday, September 5th, which I believe is like 211 days away. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> Look, we got March we got February 29th to March 3rd. That's the NFL scaling combine. Let me see here. Um, on Thursday at 3 Eastern, the defensive linemen and the linebackers are going to be doing some things. Friday, March the 1st um, at 3 Eastern time, you got defensive backs, the tight ends. On Saturday, March 2nd at 1 Eastern, you got quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running backs. And then Sunday uh, at um, 1 p.m. Eastern, you got the offensive linemen. I'm going to guarantee you right now, those four days of the NFL combine, the scouting combine, which you can see on the NFL network. I know there's a, probably there's, there's going to be an NBA game on Thursday. There's going to be college basketball on Thursday. Same thing on Friday. Same thing on Saturday. Same thing on Sunday. I'm quite sure, as far as the TV ratings are, are concerned, each one of those days, the NFL combine is going to, at the very least, triple or quadruple the ratings in terms of people watching over the NBA and the and the uh, college football games. I mean, college uh, basketball games. I'm quite sure the ratings for the for a bunch of guys in shorts and shorts and tank tops and doing the bench press and running the 40 yard dash and doing their vertical. That's gonna that's gonna be four times more interesting for most po- most folks to watch that than to watch uh, Steph Curry or LeBron James or the Lakers or the Bulls or the or the well, if you watch the Bulls, I mean, I'd rather watch the NFL Combine, but watch the uh, Celtics or any or watch Luca or watch Jokic or any of that nonsense. The NBA can't put on a game that's going to be interesting enough for them not to get crushed. Uh, in terms of the NFL network showing the combine. So that's why I'm saying, man, NFL, it's a monster. It's an absolute monster. Then you got March 11th through the 13th. Free agency begins starting at 4 p.m. Uh, on March 11th. Teams are permitted 
to contact and enter into the contract negotiations with players who will become unrestricted free agents. The contract cannot be signed until 4 p.m. on March 13th, even though I'm quite sure a lot of these teams are already starting their business. April 25th through the 27th, the NFL draft in Detroit. Um, the top 10 draft teams in order. Number one is going to be Chicago. Number two, my Washington Commanders. Number three, New England. Number four, Seattle. Number five, the L.A. Chargers, the L.A. Harbaugh's. Number six, the New York Giants. Number seven, Tennessee. Number eight, Atlanta with Raheem Morris. Number nine, Chicago again with my man Matt Eberflus. I just love the name Eberflus. And number 10, the New York Aaron Rodgers. So there you go. Then mid-July, mid to uh, late July, organizations can start preseason training camps with veterans reporting one week after the rookies are in the building. Then August 1st, you have the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio. And then you've got the preseason, and then you got the start of the NFL season. But as I mentioned before, as I'm recording this on the 13th of February, we have a long, long, long way to go. Let me end with this. Um, I've read something. I haven't mentioned this at all, or I haven't really said anything at all for the most part. Because I'm, I'm kind of sick of it, and I don't like where the discussions are going. And it's just, it, it, you know, I, 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 I just don't like it. The Taylor Swift bullshit. Um, I read an interesting post. Let, let, let me first give you my uh, thoughts and feelings about this whole bullshit, this whole nonsense. Look, I'm sick of it. One of the nice things about the NFL season being over is the fact that I don't have to see that fucking mug on my TV screen again while I'm watching uh, the NFL, while, while I'm watching the Kansas City football team play. And, and yes, I understand that she was only on there for 25 seconds or 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Well, guess fucking what? That's If she was on there for 60 seconds, that's like 58 seconds, way too fucking long. And, and, and here's where it, it annoys me. Now, look, I'm not one of these dumbasses who are going to sit there and, and use it for political reasons. I guess she's for the Democrats or something. Great, wonderful. I really don't give a shit. I really don't give a fuck. She's with the Democrats and all this kind of stuff, so they use it as a political toy and political situation. I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm not into this. This is the reason. I'm not into that nonsense. This is the reason why I can't stand this nonsense, this bullshit, this discussion, and why she's there, this, that, and the other. It's because you know, and, and you know what? In a way, good for her. She knows what she's doing, or at least the people around her know what they're doing. She knows when she goes to these games. She knows when she gets herself on television that it's great for her career. She knows that when she gets her face on television that people are going to be talking about her. Positive or negative. But they're going to be talking about her. And when you're in her profession, the worst thing that can happen to you is they don't talk about you at all. You know, if I get... 10 times the amount of people who listen to this podcast because they fucking hate my guts and they want to yell and they want to scream at me and they want to talk about how stupid I am and how divisive I am or any of that nonsense. Go for it. Wonderful. I love it. I'm not looking for people to applaud me. I'm not looking for people to go, yeah, that Wendell's awesome. Everything he says is just right on and great and this, that, and the other. I don't, if I can elicit some type of anger or if I can elicit some type of emotion that's going to have you come back, either in a positive or negative way, that's what I'm going to do. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Why do you think I say racist, ignorant, divided states of America all the time? 
A, because it's true, and B, I'm hoping to piss off my listeners so they can come back and listen to me again and yell and scream at me. While they're listening to me, they can talk about, oh, what a terrible take. Oh, this motherfucker doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, this guy curses so much. Oh, this guy's a hypocrite. Oh, this guy's talking about unity, and then he's talking about how horrible white people and black people are. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Hey, man, anything that gets you to the table, anything that's going to get you to listen, anything that's going to get you to my table and eat my meal, which is my podcast, chow down, I'm going to bring it to you. So Taylor Swift knows what she's doing. Taylor Swift knows that... If she can get people who are going to yell and scream like me about how horrible it is that she's it, that she's there, then her Swifties, her prepubescent fans, are going to come to her rescue. And that attention is going to elevate her. That negative attention, even that negative attention, is going to elevate her. So she knows what she's doing. If she, if she wanted to... Oh, Taylor. Yeah, but Taylor, I mean, they can't... She can't help it if the camera you know, finds her and, and puts the camera on her. She, there's places where she can go, believe me. If she didn't want to be seen at the game and still have a fabulous experience, uh, there's ways to do so. There's places where she can do, she can still have a great vantage point and not be seen and not have the attention on her. She knows. She knows when she walks into the stadium that there's going to be cameras on her. If she was so... Like, oh, I don't want to be taking any way, anything away from my boyfriend and all this type of stuff. There's ways that you can get around that bullshit. And she knows that. But she wants the attention. Because she knows what the attention will do for her ego and do for her record sales. And do for her longevity longevity in her business. So that, that bullshit. So, so again, that nonsense is... Uh, is, you know, when I hear that nonsense, it's like, come on, man, don't, don't, don't give me that nonsense. Don't give me that stupidity. Then you have women fe- feminists coming out talking about, oh, how about that? People are so upset with Taylor Swift, but I don't see anybody losing their mind when they had Jack Nicholson, when they showed Jack Nicholson at the Laker games. I don't see anybody yelling and screaming when they show Spike Lee at New York Knicks games. I don't see anybody getting upset when they show these male entertainers and actors at these games. Hmm, I wonder what the difference is. Stop, 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 stop. Just like I need to tell my folks on my side of the track sometimes, stop when they're yelling racism, when there's really not racism there. I'm telling the feminists right now with that argument, stop. Stop because you sound stupid. Right there, you sound you sound uneducated and you sound ignorant. Let me tell you the huge difference in between that is Taylor Swift. Jack Nicholson Spike Lee, these other male um, actors and entertainers who are going to these games, guess what? They're fucking fans. They're fans of the sport. They're fans of the team. It's a big difference. Huge difference. Jack Nicholson, before he gave up his courtside seats, he was going to Laker games on a consistent basis for decades. Jack Nicholson was already a movie star. Jack Nicholson didn't need the attention. Jack Nicholson was there because he enjoyed the game of basketball. And he enjoyed the Lakers. The Lakers, that were that was his team. Spike Lee has been a diehard New York Knicks fan. Spike Lee, when they show him at the at, at the at Yankee Stadium, has been a lifelong diehard New York Yankee fan. Spike Lee is not going there so people can go ahead and watch more of his movies. Spike Lee is not going there and Jack Nicholson is not going there because they're dating one of the players. Now that would really be something. 
if Spike Lee and Jack Nicholson were showing up because one of the, because they were dating one of the players on the Lakers or the Knicks, well, that, that would be something. That would be getting a whole lot of attention, probably for the wrong reasons for the most part. People would be taking it for the wrong reasons for the most part. But that's the reason why those guys are showing up, because they're fans of the fucking game. You know, Diane Cannon went to Laker games for years. Why? Because she was fans of the fucking team. Not because she had a movie or a TV show coming out and she wanted to be seen so they could get higher ratings. And that's the fucking thing that pisses me off. Sorry my, sorry about my tone of voice. I'm not really in love with my tone right now. But that's the thing that, that pisses me off when they start talking about that shit. Oh, the, the male. No, those guys are fans. Something tells me if Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey break up, breaks up, something tells me before next season, if they break up, I have a pretty good, I, I, I can pretty much guess that you won't be seeing Taylor Swift at Kansas City football games. I don't know, just, just a hunch. That really, that all of a sudden now, because of Taylor Swift going to uh, Kansas City football games because her boyfriend plays on the team, if they break up, I don't think that Taylor Swift all of a sudden is going to become season ticket holders to the, um, to the uh, team for the state or city or area that she lives in. If she breaks up with Travis Kelsey, that's going to be the last time you'll see Taylor Swift at the football game. So, so please, stop with the nonsense, stop with the ignorance, and stop with the bullshit when it comes to that. And it's also interesting to me that we're still having this nonsense about, you know, about, about Taylor Swift, you know, the, the same thing. Pale, skinny, halfway decent looking. It's supposed to be the virtuous of what attractiveness is in this country. You know who else goes to um, football games because their boyfriend plays on the team? Simone Biles. Even though I think that they're, uh, I think that uh, her guy, who's a defensive back or something like that. I know he plays in the secondary. I think they're engaged. I think they're engaged. But Simone Biles goes to Green Bay Packers football games. You wouldn't know that, would you? No. I wonder why. Oh, that's right, because the camera's not putting the the, the camera's not showing Simone Biles 15 fucking times a game. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. And, uh, hey, uh, Swifties, I hate to tell you all something, but when it comes to accomplishments, yeah, um, representing your country and doing what Simone Biles is doing is a whole lot more impressive than what the fuck Taylor Swift is doing. I hate to tell you all that. So that's my that's my deal with that, man. It has nothing to do with politics. I don't care about that nonsense. I'm not going to use it. That's my only deal. Hey, Taylor Swift can go to the game and this, that, and the other. You know? But again, she knows what she's doing. And she knows that, hey, you know what? As much of these fools put the camera on me, it's going to be good for my career. And that kind of just like, that's like, you know, bitch, please get on, my, get on my face with that nonsense. So that's my deal with that. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of bugs me. <laughs> All right. There's a good article about it in the, in the Huffington Post. Um, Taryn Finley, I think that was what her name was, um, talking about, um, about Taylor Swift in that regard. So, yeah. So, it, it, you know, and they're talking, you know, Beyonce was there at the Super Bowl. I mean, if I'm the cameraman, I'm putting shots on Beyonce, Queen B, more than I am. Taylor fucking Swift. So, there you go. Hey, and oh, oh by the way, uh, Swifties, why don't you tell your gal to stop dating um, racist motherfuckers before? Because I believe that she was dating some guy who was talking about, um, that he was a bass player. Let me see. He was bass, he was a bass player for a British pop, pop rock group in 1975. And this guy made anti-Semitic 
Islamophobic and misogynistic statements and said that dating Swift would be emasculating. And he also said that uh, during the podcast that he masturbates to black women being brutalized. So maybe you might want to ask your your fucking your homegirl about dating a motherfucker like that. Hmm? How about that? Huh? How, how, how about that? Just for a just for a lark. <sighs> All right, I'm out of here. I want to thank you so much. <laughs> I just, look, man, I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, you heard what I said. All right, so I want to thank you so much for uh, listening to my podcast. Uh, my next podcast, I'm going to be talking about, um, I'm going to be talking about some NBA because the trade deadline happened a little while ago. Look what the Knicks were doing. Wow, man, man. Joel Embiid's out for a little bit. I'll be discussing all of those things. Maybe hit a little all-star stuff. Really not into that, but might hit that also. So, um, yeah, man, let me let me get on out of here. Uh, Maestro, get me out of here with some music. These arms are mine.